Hey, look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Am I on? There we go. Uh, hey, we're so glad that you're here. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads. And what that means is every time I take a platform and have the opportunity, I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus. And Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. So if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about Jesus. We wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And what that means is you're going to need a Bible to follow along. And if you forgot your Bible, don't worry. We got you covered. You can just slip up your hand and one of our ushers will get one to you. And then if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. We pray that you read it every single day because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, turn in your Bible to the gospel of John. We've been in this book for many weeks now, and uh, we're going to continue on for many more. We're going to be in John chapter 12, and if you're new to the Bible, you can start in the right, and you'll find it much faster. Uh, or you can go over two-thirds of the way through, and you'll find some guys' names, Matt, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, we're going to be in John chapter 12, starting in verse 1. We're so glad you're joining us on the online campus. Let me just take a moment and thank uh, our team, uh, Kevin and Joe, who just put together uh, all new equipment this week to make sure that we have the best possible online viewing experience that we can uh, provide. And so I, I know there's uh, numerous people on this morning. I just want to say uh, hello to you and thank you for uh, joining us. The point is that you gather. The uh, the title or that's given to the people of God is the church. It's not a building. It's not a particular place. It's a gathering of people. The ecclesia is the gathering. And so it doesn't matter if you gather at 9 a.m. or 1045 or you're at the Lompoc campus live at 5. And then some of you overachievers, you double dip at all of them. And, uh, and so it, it doesn't matter where or when you gather. It matters that you gather. Amen? Uh, because simply life is better together. And you're going to need someone along the journey that we are uh, on, this long trek that we are. A trek is defined as a long and treacherous journey. And sometimes that's the way life is. But any uh, journey worth taking, usually at the end of it, has a destination with a grand view of glorious creation. Amen. And so ultimately, as we walk with one another, as we gather with one another, uh, we help each other along the way. And so you're going to need somebody. And so connect with somebody. You can email us if you watch online primarily. Uh, if you're able to get here, get here in person because it will never, uh, watching online in your home will never replace being with real people, giving a handshake, a hug, a high five, uh, a smile. We need that in this particular time. Amen. And so I'm so thankful, Joe, Kevin, thank you guys so much. We just give it up for this team who's worked so hard to make this happen. And more and more people hear the gospel uh, because you are a generous church and we have the ability to do that and we try to steward that as best as we possibly can. But I'm excited about the future of the online campus. How about you? Amen. 
if you're in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, look at verse 1. I'm going to read just a few verses here. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead, the story that we talked about uh, in a previous week. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, of course, and, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at uh, the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used it to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. And then he says something that uh, I think we need to look at very closely. Verse 8 says, for the poor uh, you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are and who you are to us. I ask for your grace that as we look at this passage, you would help us, you would inform us, you would help us to clearly understand this good news, this gospel that you've left for us, the gospel of God for your glory and our good. And everyone said... Amen. We're at a particular passage, maybe a famous passage, after the, the resurrection of Jesus' friend Lazarus. The, the news has traveled of this miracle, this sign, this wonder that has pointed to who Jesus is. But yet, it, it doesn't matter if we have all the information. Sometimes we will just believe what we want to believe. And so although religious leaders were looking for a Messiah, although they were looking for someone to set them free, and although Jesus uh, was beginning to, in front of their eyes, fulfill prophecy that had been said for hundreds and hundreds of years before, and he is positioning himself to show just who he is. But there's some, there's some reasons why they can't fully see him. They can't put the whole narrative together. They believe that this Messiah will come and overthrow Caesar. But more than overflowing, overthrowing Caesar, Jesus was concerned with overthrowing Satan. And, and, and instead of delivering them from the Romans, he wants to deliver them from sin. And, and so ultimately you can change out Caesars and you can change out politicians and and you can change the government, but if the heart is still corrupt, we're still left doomed and destined for destruction in our sin. Because the Bible tells us that the human heart, and if we, we were honest with ourselves, the same frustrations that we tend to look out into the world and be frustrated with, if we're honest, sometimes those very same things we find in our Selves. And if you were honest, you'd say amen right now. And, and so yet Jesus knows that, that there's a heart issue. There, there's an issue that is deep within. And, and in order to change them, he'll, he'll have to uh, be buried for them and take on their sin that they may be raised anew, that we may be raised new. But yet 
what they want and what they need are vastly different. What they want and what they actually need are vastly different. Have you ever been at odds with what you want and what you need? Somebody say, oh no. Right? Because oftentimes what we want and what we need, and we're hyper aware of that with our children, we're hyper aware of that with everyone else, we're hyper aware of that when they extend their, themselves and live beyond their means and buy their new car, but we completely ignore it when we live beyond our means and we want our new thing or trinket or gadget. Somebody say amen to that. It's very hard. That's why Jesus says to deal with the plank in your own eye before you deal with the speck in your brother's eye. There's something he's re- revealing to us. And so they, they want one thing, but what they need is vastly different. What they want is deliverance in the, spirit, in the physical realm, and Jesus wants to deliver them in the spiritual realm. What, what, what they want is to be delivered from the poverty of their hand, and Jesus is far more concerned with the poverty of their heart than the poverty of their hand. And so they miss him. They can't put together these ancient scriptures, these fantastic scriptures, like of the Son of Man who who will come on the clouds and judge the world against right and wrong, and he'll he'll set everything just right. Right. When you think about the wrath of God, when you think about the justice of God, if these are big words, maybe scary words from the scriptures, can I just say, just substitute that out with the justice of God. Or as my friend Mark Thompson has taught me over the years, it's in order to say that he will set everything just right. If you've ever said something like, that just ain't right, all right? <laughs> If, if, if that's just not right, that should not be so. There's something in you uh, that tells me. The Bible says that God has written the law of God on our hearts. And so we appeal to conscience that sometimes we look at things and we say that should not be so. And if, if we think there are some things universally, as C.S. Lewis would write in the opening chapter of his book, Mere Christianity, he would tell us that there's, there's something in human beings that would say universally, and, and, and maybe we can get into the weeds with some of the nuance, but there are some things that we say that should not be. And it doesn't matter what culture, it doesn't matter what race, it doesn't matter where you come from. There's, there are some things in this world that we say that should not be so. Killing of an innocent man, the hurting of a child, the desire to protect women and children. There are some things in us that we quickly can say that this is so. And Yet, when we ignore those things, we move away from the law of God and we move towards our way. And you know what happens when sometimes you get your way. You realize that that was no way at all. And you look at your friends and go, why did you let me have my way? Why didn't you talk me out of that? And they say, you were adamant. No, no one could talk you out of that. You were, you were stubborn. It, it, you, you, you knew that it was going to end up in folly and shame, and yet you still went head over foot long into it. And so 
these passages that tell us that Jesus will come back and set everything back to his original design, the way in which he's written it on our hearts, the things that we know should be so and are not. We look at the world, but yet we're trapped in our own perspective because let's be honest, we think that everyone else is a little bit off. And you think this side's off. Um, what about you people, right? Uh, we look at everyone else and, and we say that they, they ought not do that. You ever heard of those, the ought nots? Maybe that's just where uh, uh, the oughts and the ought nots, uh, you ought not do that. And, uh, and yet we think everyone else ought not, and we always should and ought. And, and yet... The problem is, is that in order to set everything just right, Jesus must set us just right. He must do away with the thing that constantly bends us towards sin, as the great prophet Dr. Seuss said in the Lorax. You remember that? Right? Yeah, the the onceler is asked by the Lorax, which way does a tree fall? He quickly says, a tree falls down. And he says, no, the onceler, the tree doesn't fall down. A tree falls the way it leans so be careful which way you lean and the reality is is that we all have a bent towards our way and towards sin and we need to be set right so in order to not destroy us along with sin there must be a trade and ultimately that's what we don't fully understand that's what they didn't fully understand because the same passages that talk about the Son of Man, the Jewish Superman of Daniel 7, saying that, G, that the Messiah will come and he'll change everything, they miss the passages in Isaiah that said he would suffer and die. Wait a second, that doesn't make sense. Well, why, why would that be so? And yet, throughout the passages in John, we read stories of Jesus predicting his death, saying that his ultimate goal is to suffer and die. And even Peter will step up and say, no, you can't do that. That's against our plans. He says, I know what you want, but it's different than what you actually need. And what you need is for me to suffer and die. And that's beyond. You couldn't make this up. Uh, someone says, man, this is very complicated. C.S. Lewis begins to describe, and mere Christianity as well, he says, well, someone uh, could make up a religion that was far more simple. But it tends to be that the truth is very complicated. Have you ever noticed that? Somebody say amen to that. The truth can be complicated. And so this idea that Jesus would come and suffer and die and be buried in our place and that God would say that he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that he would be put forth as a propitiation or a fulfillment of this wrath of God, that he would condemn sin in the flesh, that he would trade with us. Martin Luther calls it the great exchange and that it's controversial. Paul opens the book of Romans by saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the idea is that everyone will need to trade places, that there's no one good, no, not one, and that he takes our bad and he exchanges it for our good. So they miss these passages, although they were there. Although in the book of Acts, there's, there's this Ethiopian man who's, who's, who, who's uh, in, in the court of the queen of Ethiopia. And he's, he's in a chariot, and he's reading the book of Isaiah. 
This is after the resurrection. This is uh, during the proclamation of the gospel that begins to change the world as we know it. And still to this day, we reap the benefits of those who would go before us carrying the gospel news that there is no king, there is no monarchy needed. I mean, think about this, just in, in, in the idea if you say Jesus has changed the world, and maybe you dispute that, for all of known human history, the world has been okay with kings. And then when you hear someone say, there's a king coming to visit, you're like, that, that seems weird, don't you think? There are no kings. Those are fairy tales. Kings and queens do not exist. You say that ought not be so, well, why is it that you think? Because for most of human history, there have been kings who tell people what to do, and yet we think that should not be so. What is only from the announcement, the evangelion in the Greek is the good news of the gospel. This is what in the ancient world would be an announcement. There, there is a new king. The gospel is proclaiming that men are not king. God became a man and he has become king by way of his suffering, obedient death. And his inauguration was on a cross and the celebration was at his resurrection. And so what we say is there should not be kings or monarchs. There should not be people who tell other people what to do as sovereign, free individuals. See, this is a worldview that seeped in to our society that you cannot simply escape. And yet it was so then, but not now, because the gospel, like a little leaven, changes the whole lump, has spread over time. And if you were to look at the city of Rome, at one time crosses meant that Christians were not welcome here and that this would be your fate if you were to follow this Jesus. And now the city of Rome is lined with crosses, meaning something different. A lifeguard stand would have a cross on it. A, 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 a first aid kit you run to would have a cross. And yet this would be asinine for anyone who would come from then to now and see this. If they, if, if they had uh, 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 the DeLorean and 1.21 gigawatts, and if they could get to 88 miles per hour, they would transport here and they would, they would say, why do you guys have this on your stuff? Why do you wear it on your necklace? Why, why is it that you now celebrate what they knew to be a symbol of death? How do you trade that and now see life? See, Jesus changed everything and how we see it. And those people were changing the known world. They would say in, in, in Acts, they would say the people who've turned the world upside down have come here also. And how were they doing it? With the proclamation that there is a new king. And so then we must follow his will and his rule and his reign for us. And the good news about this king is he is benevolent. The good news about this king is he's slow to anger, abounding in love, and he's the chief servant. He serves the most. He became the least so that we may see him as the most. Oh, that's good preaching. Thank you, Pastor Sam. Amen. I know I didn't stomp my foot or raise my voice, but that was a good time for the amen. Uh, amen. No, no, it's too late now. I want, your, I want your sympathy slow clap. Are you kidding me? 
Oh, okay, we're doing it. Uh, <laughs> and, and so, this in this period of time where the go- proclamation of the gospel is going forth, there's this Ethiopian man who is in the court of the queen of Ethiopia. And he's in the chariot waiting for her as a servant. And he's reading the book of Isaiah. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, he didn't even open his mouth. He was bruised. He was wounded. And the chastisement of our peace was laid upon him. Philip hears him reading it in the chariot. And Philip, the disciple, goes up and says, Do you understand what you're reading? And like many of us who read the Bible, we should say, No. And we should say this, how could we unless someone explains it to us? You ever been there? Right? That's why community Bible reading is foundational. Amen? Amen? That's why reading the Bible with someone who can help you. That's why the Bible says that he's given gifts to the church, apostles, pastors, (laughs) and teachers and evangelists for the equipping of the saints that they may speak the truth in love that when they hear the truth they'll grow and they'll help one another till when till Jesus comes back and set everything just right so we'll we'll eat and feast on his word that we may be changed and put on display for a dying world to see that there is hope and life found in him somebody say amen, amen. to that and so he says how can how can i know unless someone tells me and so he gets in the chariot with him and, and, and he begins to explain the gospel to him and, the, and then the Ethiopian man looks over at a puddle of water and he goes what keeps me from being baptized he goes nothing like let's do that then some of you need to say and ask yourself maybe you need to hear the question what prevents you from being baptized the answer is nothing right we got a horse trough right there right <laughs> Right, Joe, get the water hose. (laughs) What prevents you from telling the world that there is one king? What stops you? Can you imagine the controversy when the queen comes back and he says, I've heard there's a new king. Say what? I heard there's one who's king over everything, life, death, hell, and the grave, and he has changed everything. Can you imagine the controversy? And yet, Ethiopia has been known for, as a Christian nation for centuries from one man opening the scripture and asking the question who is this about and someone simply saying this is about Jesus let me show you what he's done let me show you who he is but yet they couldn't rectify the two together they couldn't and they couldn't accept this gospel this good news because what they wanted was from their perspective good for gain and maybe their goodness for their own gain they could present that to God and somehow that would earn them credit with God let me explain that one more time oftentimes what we want is a gospel of good a gospel of good for our gain see that's what's happening with Judas in this particular moment I mean, he has this, this, this moment where he sees Jesus. I mean, he's been with Jesus. He's seen all the miracles. He's heard all of the teaching, and yet still in his heart, he is committed to his own gain. 
And when you're committed to your own gain, you will begin to exchange what is actually good. You'll call something that's evil or not good, and you'll relabel it as good for your own gain. This is a symptom of sin, friends. This is not a symptom of ideology. This is not philosophy. This is not politics. This is not one side versus this side. All people who are trapped in sin will seek out their own gain and they will begin to exchange what is actually good for what they perceive to be good. You remember the story? This is an old story. It's about these two people named Adam and Eve. You remember that? You remember that? Right, sometimes I think what we think about the garden is like a small backyard with two trees, right? <laughs> That's it, right? And, 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 and then God put a, a, a T-bone steak in front of a dog and was like, don't touch it, right? And, and, and out, of, out of malice, begin to torture them and say, no, you can't have this. And yet, that's not what was happening. Eden was a spiritual place and a natural place, a place where heaven and earth collide. Man, this is the, the idea. This is where we're going. This is what the, the beginning of the book is about and what the end of the book is about. This place where man co-reside uh, co with the creator of the universe. Where Adam got to walk with God in the cool of the day. What they had was good. And yet the enemy tricks them in order to redefine good and evil on their own. From their perspective, they get to decide what's good. And he says, did God really say and takes a, a aspect of truth and begins to twist it? An aspect of truth. Proverbs talks about those who have a twisted mind. And by twisted, it doesn't necessarily mean evil or wicked what it means is that you're just mixed up you don't know what to believe you're trying to navigate truth i know no one feels mixed up in this particular season in our life somebody say oh no right and yet we have to be convinced that his way is the only way and that his truth is the only truth and if I look for truth I will bump in to the person of Jesus because he is the way the truth and the life and so I have to be diligent not deceived or twisted or or redefining what once I thought was evil now I say is good and second Timothy Paul writes to this pastor this young pastor Timothy I know nothing about being a young pastor uh, and, and yet he says listen people in the last days they will call evil good and good evil and, and here's the thing that we have to be careful with they will seek out for themselves teachers who tell them what they want to hear they'll have itching ears they will not endure sound doctrine this is always as a pastor a young pastor a dilemma do i tell you what you want to hear because i really want you to like me 
I do. I hope you do. <laughs> I hope you, like, and that's the dilemma. But what you need is different from what you want. And what I need to do for you is different than what I want. Because sometimes I'm conflicted. Do I want to do good for me that I might gain something? Do I want to tell you what you want to hear? That you may like me, you may sing my praises, and you'll share my podcast? You should share the podcast. <laughs> do I do that? Or do, or, do I, or do I speak the truth in love that you may grow and even though it is difficult you will hear the heart and that I fear God more than I fear you or my own popularity and I tell you what you need to hear and I submit out of fear of the Lord you have to wrestle with who is this Jesus it won't always feel good but it will be good, right? It's like eating vegetables. It isn't, it's not good. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not. Let's just, can we just get that out of the way? They're not good. Just want to point that out. Some of you are like, plugging your teenagers. Here. It's just not, right? It's not good. You can make it taste good. It's funny how we, we, we try to mask it. But we know that it will be for our good. And so then the same way spiritual food, sometimes it does not taste good on the palate. But I can tell you that it will be for your nourishment. It will be for your good. See, this passage brings for us a contrast between a false gospel. A gospel of good is no gospel at all. Let me say that again. A gospel for good is no gospel at all. See, this gospel is about God. It's a gospel of God. It's a good news about God. And that will be for your good. Let me show you the contrast. See, oftentimes what we can do is we can have a gospel of good, but really behind the goodness is for our own gain. Peter, or, or Judas says this, he says, why is, she, why is she doing that with that box, that perfume? You know what would be good is if we sold that and we gave it to the poor. See, that's... Yes, that's what, that's what you should do. You guys should, you, you guys should spend all that money on that online campus. You shouldn't do that. You should have taken all of that and you should have given it to the poor. You've never heard anything like that before, have you? Can you believe that screen they have on stage? I wonder how much that costs. <laughs> it's a sheet, friends. It, it's barely a screen, right? I tell you. They have like a... <laughs> A thousand inch TV screen at that church, you know? Uh, right? You, you, you think I'm joking? You know those are conversations. See, we could give this to the poor. And yet, that sounds really good. And let me give a caveat. This does not mean that we do not give to the poor. That's not what it means. It asks the question what is your motivation for giving to 
the poor. Because what happens is, is oftentimes what gets twisted in our minds is a gospel of good. And this gospel of good will oftentimes be corrupted by our own sin because we've not had a heart transplant. And we have poverty of the heart. And we need to feel it with, with thinking we've done good. Or, or, or yet we'll manipulate in such a way that I can skim off the top. And yet organizations around the world who seemingly do good have corrupt leadership. They skim off the top. And yet we think, and what we do is if we, if they're our guy, our organization, we will ignore the bad in sake of the good. We will say, well, yeah, yeah, I know there's corruption. Yeah, I know that that politician has some baggage. I know there's some things, but this is good. Are you with me? When your ethic is good, you will not follow God. I'll tell you why, because this is not about your own good. This is about the glory and renown of God, who is the only one that is good, because there's no one good, and you can just change the system, and you can just shift the wealth. And yet, if there's not a, a deliverance from sin, there will always be corruption. There will always be the poor, because poor is a heart issue, not a hand issue. See, Jesus makes this famous statement, the poor will be with you always. Now, wait, wait a second, Pastor. I thought we were supposed to eradicate poverty. I thought we could do that. And Jesus makes this profound prophecy. The poor will be with you always. Now, he's telling them that, that ultimately I in person will not always be with you. And she's chosen a great thing. But she chooses this, this kind of what seems to be wasteful thing. What, what she's seen is this lavish, another gospel would call it the alabaster box. She breaks this box, this box that would have taken a year's worth of salary. And she takes this box and she breaks it. And, and then she, she doesn't even feel that a normal rag or washcloth or towel is worthy. And so she begins to wash the feet of Jesus with her hair. You can imagine the scene. I mean, this was the job of a servant. See, it, their culture is much different than our culture. So they ate kind of laying down. So it was a low table, and, and their feet would be away from the table. They didn't, they didn't have shoes like you and I. They wore sandals, and their feet would become disgusting because of, of the livestock that was just everywhere, the lack of sanitation. And so they knew this, and they knew that let's keep this separate. And so oftentimes, and that's the scene we'll see next week, that Jesus takes the posture of this servant and washes the disciples' feet as they enter into the room for dinner. Now, his feet has probably already been washed once, so this even seems over the top. Wait a second, a, a servant already did this. And yet, something in her tells her to do this, leads her, and Jesus will say, she's doing this for my burial. They don't even know the full breadth of what Jesus is doing. I find it interesting that the same women 
will come to the tomb early in the morning because they did not have time on Friday before sundown, before the Sabbath, because they would be breaking the Sabbath to work and give his body ointment and spices to prepare his body for burial, that they would break the Sabbath, and yet they forgot that they've already done this. I think it's interesting that they get up that morning, and yet in the grace of God, Jesus says, my body's already been prepared for burial. They go, what? They can't put the two together. That doesn't seem good. Death, burial, doesn't seem like good news to me. Unless he's going to accomplish something that could not be done any other way. That's the only way it's good. And yet somehow she sees that Jesus is the object and affection of worship. She's sensing that the world should revolve around this man. My life, my love, my affection, my beauty, my source, my savings, my salary. Somehow what this man, who this man is and what this man has done deserves the most lavish of praise. I heard a sermon, I alluded to it last week, where this pastor preaches a gospel of good, of good deeds and of good works. And he made this statement that Jesus was not concerned with him being the object of worship. Can I just tell you that there's a dilemma here? And once again, you have to decide where Jesus is. If Jesus is not God and he allows this woman to worship him as God, he's allowing her to break the first command, which is to have no gods before me. Unless he is God. And that worship and that glory which is bestowed upon him will result in the good of everyone around. There's a reason why we have the order of our statement on the wall the way it is. We do not say alone for the good of the valley, although the sticker has it. So when you ride around and someone says, well, what's good for the valley? The glory of God. The proclamation of of the goodness of our king that there is only one king and he sets what's right and wrong and he is the person who decides good and evil and he's the one who's written truth on your, on your heart and so the only way you'll navigate the only way that you'll be sustained the only way you'll be able to lead your family is if you begin to behold the glory and renown of Jesus Christ the author and finisher of our faith. And when you do, and many of you know that, you wanna know what's best for your marriage? Not to make your spouse first, because they'll make a terrible God. My wife would be a terrible God, right? I'd have been dead a long time ago, right? I'd make a terrible God, right? Well, when I tried to exchange, you ever, you ever felt this way? Like you try to give and they, they don't seem to notice. Don't look at them. Rude. Right, but you'll, you'll heap praise to them. 
and you'll realize they're not always benevolent. They're not always attentive. They're not always slow to anger. It's me. They're not always abounding in love and full of patience. And what you'll do is like a false god, you will leap up, sacrifice to them, and they will be dormant, ignoring, or whatever else you begin to worship. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your money. Maybe it's your house. And you'll find that it is a dormant and dead idol. They cannot talk back. And they cannot fulfill you. And you'll heap up, you'll give, you'll serve it. And it won't quite repay you. Can I just tell you, you can never outgive God. And you can never heap on him more than he's worthy of. You can never give him more than he deserves. And I'll tell you, he always gives you more than you deserve, don't you think? Because no matter how much good you can heap up, no matter how much good deeds you can do, the Bible says that it will amount to filthy rags. Because this is not a gospel of good. This is a gospel of God. The good news about Jesus. And Jesus is for the good of everyone who comes in contact with him. I heard a pastor shock jock people one time and he says this. He said, God is for God. God is for God. Because people sometimes think God is for us. God's chief affection is you. As if you were the center of the universe. That he just thinks about you. Right? He's writing you love letters. Right? You may feel like, man, at first glance, that that stings a little bit. God is for God. But see, here's the beauty of understanding who God is. See, God is one God, yet he is known in three persons. So if I say the Father is for the Son, and the Son is for the Father, and the Spirit agrees... If I were to say that the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father, you'd say that sounds like what Jesus says. You'll you'll say, I remember Jesus saying things like, I do nothing except what my Father wants. And you'll hear him say things like, the Father loves the Son and he listens to his Son. So when I say God is for God, it's a true statement. The Father is for the Son. The Son, why? Why? Because in and of himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he is the very essence of what love and relationship looks like. You ever get around somebody that had a good marriage? You ever get around somebody who was really generous? You ever get around somebody who who just had some things together and you you just feel like, man, I want what they have to rub off on? No, you never met anybody. I can introduce you to some people. You're hanging out with the wrong people, friend, right? Right? You ever been around some people you're like, I want, I want what they have to rub off on me. It's why we're obsessed with love movies, romance, rom-coms. All right, all right, all right. That's why we love them. 
right? Because we want it. We observe it. We behold it. Because we think it's the essence of good. Can I tell you that when you behold who God is in and of himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that Jesus, for God did not spare his own son, but he loved him. And the son loves the father that he gave himself. For God so loved the world that he would gave the one he loves that he may put on display for us what love really is, that you get around him, you go, I want more. You get around him and you say, I want more of that in my life. It seems like some things are off, but he is just right. Ephesians 3 says this, this is the gospel. This is the good news about Jesus who was prepared for burial and he buried sin so that we could be raised to new. And all of that was for his glory and our good. Blessed be the God, our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ, according to what? The purpose of his will. Why? To the praise of his glorious grace. He saves you, he ransoms you, he adopts you. Why? Because he is good. For his glory, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he has set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who has guaranteed our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory, for his glory and the good of this valley. And everyone said, amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?